Hey movie fans, it's Dimitri here on Anatomy of a Movies from the Popcorn Talk Network, where today we're investing in the money monster, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Why, hello, 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 movie fans. How are you? This is Dimitri from... Part of Anatomy of a Movie, part of the Popcorn Talk Networks, and this is where we talk movies. Uh, today, first time we've worked together yes. as my host, uh, I'm going to start off in the far right because you are the newbie with me. Indeed. That's Jeff Graham, everybody. Say hello. Jeff, what up, can, everyone? Where can people find you, Jeff? You guys can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham or Instagram at Jeffrey Crane Graham. And right next to me, directly next to me, who I'm always next to, when she does the show, when we do the show together, the lovely Sarah Stratton. Hello, hello. We haven't done a show in a little while. It has so, been yeah, a little bit. It feels that way. It, it feels that way. You're a very busy person. So, um, well, today, as I said, today we'll be investing our time and monies in Jodie Foster's The Money Monster. Yes. Uh, so, uh, as we as we open up every show, uh, we're going to start off with our thoughts and opinions. Ladies first, Sarah. Ah, okay. Um, Money Monster. I think for the positives, my favorite part of this movie was the acting and kind of the um, aggression that we got to experience with our... I don't know how to describe him, man, out on a limb. Um, that was my favorite aspect, is really I did believe that people were in danger. I think that's really important for a movie like this. But for me, it wasn't a perfect 10. I don't even know if I could give it like a 6, because it took me a really long t time to get invested in this movie because of a couple of choices they made and how to introduce their characters, introdu their introductory tone. Um, and I think that we could... I felt like there was a little bit, there was potential for more. With the cast they had, with the talent they had, and with the foundation of the story, I just think that they could have pushed a little further into the actual finances, into the corruption, into that storyline. Um, so I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I agree with you. I don't think this was a perfect movie, but I loved it. Um, I think this was my favorite movie of the year I've seen so far. And I love Richard Linklater, like I loved Everybody Wants Some, but something about this movie really resonated with me, and I, when it ended, I thought like, man, I love that movie, I'd love to see it again, I thought it was well written, I thought it was tight, and I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this too. I mean, for me, this is a movie that's a great example about how talent and performance can carry a movie, and I'm talking about talent and performance both in front and behind in front of the camera, behind the camera. I think it was a good topical thriller. I mean, it obviously for me, it, it takes from it takes from better movies like like a network dog day afternoon and such, but that's fine because this movie was entertaining. Uh, making Wall Street the bad guys seems to be a trend. Uh, they're, they're an easy target, right. much like Nazis are always an easy target to make for bad guys. Wall Street's an easy target. It's something that everybody can commiserate with, in a sense. Uh, you know, you're always feeling like you're getting screwed. Well, yeah. You know, the rich mm -hmm. are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. That's a theme that's in this movie. Um, I think the plot points were very... I, I, I think that this movie follows very simplistic plot points. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. You follow a movie like The Big Short, mm -hmm. right, which, which, which is an excellent movie, you know, this too, which has similar themes, getting screwed over by Wall Street, 
uh, you know, this ain't the big short. It's fictitious completely, yet it's still, I found this movie to be well-paced. I like the real-time mm-hmm. plotting of this movie, and I really did enjoy the performances, and I think that they serve the big screen perfectly. I loved, uh, I, I just loved the the veterans of this movie working together, i.e. George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Jodie Foster directing. Uh, it was fun. In the 80s, this would be a package movie. This would be, we're getting these two huge stars in Clooney and Roberts, and then we get a star name to direct. Boom. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, we're going to come up with a story. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's flawed, you know, and, w- and we can get into that. Um a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think I think we're gonna have a good time uh, talking about the production and, and all this, and then we'll talk about some of the flaws. It's funny, Dimitri. Real quick, you mentioned that it, in the '80s this would have been a package movie. Yeah. Did you feel like it kind? Of- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I've had a throwback feel a little bit. Absolutely, it felt kind of retro to me. Absolutely. Which I well, they don't. First and foremost, this isn't a franchise picture. Mm-hmm. This is not. Yeah, this is this is like an original story. This was a you know this comes from a screenplay that was featured in the 2014 blacklist as the most liked unmade feature of that year. So um, yeah, it's definitely a movie. And Jodie Foster has said this in many interviews. It's it's a movie that Hollywood doesn't make as much anymore. And she even goes on saying this could potentially be one of the last that they make, which would break my heart. Because this is, number one, it's a rated R adult movie, mm-hmm. okay? And they, they don't make these kind of drama, thriller kinds of things. And where before they would get like, a t- like the movie like The Gift, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, this is a, another R-rated movie made for adults. And I find that, that the movie like Money Monster, and then I know we'll talk later on about the nice guys. Like these are movies that can be slowly going away. And in fact, towards the end of this, I want to bring something up and talk about uh, uh, a trend in technology today and how movies like this can suffer. Mm -hmm. And I was really, it it was nice to see this uh, in in a movie full of adults. Mm -hmm. I went to a matinee and it was like over 50% filled. And there was, people were clapping at the thing and this was adults. And I really, Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. I don't want to see this kind of movie go away. We got to save this. You know, we have to save this middle movie, this low budgeted $27 million Type of budgeted movie, so yes, definitely a throwback. Definitely a throwback. So, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the development of the Sarah? I know, looking through the notes, you had a, you had a ton of great stuff to talk about. Um, so. Well, I was just kind of interested because it did seem like the script changed, as you said from the blacklist. This movie took about seven years from script to get to festival to get on screen. And what it really started out with was the writers were fascinated by the financial system, how people don't understand it. They wanted a script to explore, to actually get into, like, the nitty-gritty, explain how this works, kind of 
for me, very similar to like the big short, like something that really gets into the process to teach the audience to understand. And then it did transform Mm -hmm. into the character piece that we saw. So it took the kind of departure from, because it it almost came, they said it kind of came across as too much. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to grasp, to get up. But they went through meetings, they took like hours and hours of talking with people who are in the financial world to really understand the the trading, all of those aspects that are glimmers in the script right. and provide the background for what we ended up seeing on screen. Yeah, and I appreciate what they did because, number one, like the big short, you know, how do you make the world of finance mm-hmm. Entertaining. Mm-hmm. The Big Short did a fantastic job. This is trying to do something different, and it, and it teaches us something do, something new, and it does it very quickly, succinctly. It says, "Okay, this is a technological thing." Before, like, it, and I thought the Clooney's overvoice set it up great. Before you were able to walk into a bank, they opened up the vault, you knew where your money is. Mm-hmm. Today, it's all ones and zeros, fiber optic lines, your money's all over the place, and a glitch, a glitch. Could, could, could mess everything up for you, and hence, boom, I, I, I understand, I'm going to understand this movie in a pretty easy setup, mm-hmm. um, So, and I, and I did like the variations of script changes, particularly Julia Roberts' character went through some major script changes. Um, what, what were your thoughts on, like, uh, on, like the development yeah, of this? Um- well, I like the other features that this writer's been involved with, so I wasn't right. surprised I ended up liking this script. Um, it's funny because you mentioned all the financial stuff. I kind of felt like in the whole scheme of the movie that actually kind of took a back seat. Mm-hmm. It to did. me, the focus was really the thriller components, right. which to me was the right choice. I, sure. I like that the backbone of this movie kind of was a morality play, but ultimately I felt like what I attached to was the like the thriller tone and feel of the movie, which to me was definitely the right choice. Yeah. I actually would almost complain that the um, the twist with the glitch and then the strike, I thought that got a little muddled for me. Um, we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to me, the way the script seemed to focus on the intimacy between Penny, is it Patty, and Patty. Lee, Julia mm-hmm. Roberts and George Clooney, let's just right. use the actor names. Um, that seemed like the strength, so I was glad that that ended up being a focus of the script. Yeah. Well, how it ended up focusing, and how you almost read it as, is it feels like a play. Mm-hmm. Instead of the expansive medium that they they do have like glimmers of, which is letting you into the outside world, the interviews to planes to jets to all this stuff going on, the main focus, because in my opinion they cut out too much of the final round, is just these kind of three characters. And you could really get the core of this movie in just a kind of play-type setting and get the themes and the messages and the intensity across. If you just have inside the booth and two people on stage, like, that is how this plays out. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, Jodie Foster, again, has has said that... um, this is her highest like budgeted film. Like for mm-hmm. her, that this is her biggest film. It's twenty seven million, which in today's world that's modest. But I understand where she's coming from. She said, "Yeah, getting George Clooney and then and then Julie Roberts coming on made it made it a bigger movie and such." But however, if this were an independent film, and I was I was given six million dollars to do this movie. Yes, I could still tell a story, but it would be a much different story. We wouldn't be going outside. There wouldn't be the planes. There wouldn't be this. It would have been much more like that, mm-hmm. the, the quote-unquote play. It would have been like a, a, 
a three-person yeah. act. You know, and I think uh, that's the strongest so, part of this movie, yeah, is the absolutely. character base of those three and the story around those three. I think its weakest point is how it expands into the controversy, into the glitch and corruption. I think that is the weakest point of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I enjoyed the, the, the elements of it being confined and almost claustrophobic mm-hmm. and everything playing out mm-hmm. in real time. You know, I, I found it interesting. So, so Money Monster was first announced uh, on deadline, of all things, on February 7th. And Daniel uh, Dubecki, du, du I want to say, uh, I don't want to butcher the, the gentleman's name. I just apologize. But no, sorry. <laughs> he, uh, you know, it was his production company, and this was their maiden voyage. Uh, with 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 Allegiance Theater, and uh, you know he chose this movie. They're able to get people like Jodie Foster on board, which I think is fantastic. Uh, you know, bringing her you know back, and obviously I think too with Jodie Foster, she really did a good job. Yeah. Like I, watching this movie, I, I, I had forgotten at parts that this is Jodie Foster directing, and I th- thought she was able to keep this cast crew together and paced it very well. Um, so I enjoyed how this all come, came together and how this was a blacklist script. Uh, and then Jim Coop comes in uh, to, to do a couple of, uh, to, to, to rewrite and let's make it more modern. Let's let's change a couple of things like the Patty character. Um, I also appreciated that each of our characters had a, had a semblance of an arc. Mm-hmm. So by the end, you know, number one, you're learning about the characters. And uh, I also found that this movie and Jodie Foster, one of the reasons why she pegged on this, why she really enjoyed this, this coming on to this project, this really was a movie about failure. Yeah. Failure, like men's failure in a sense, how it's coped with, not just financial ruin and failure, but I liked that. And when I learned about that and started thought processing the movie, you look at George Clooney's character, um, you you look at even Patty's character to an extent, but our two leading male men, you know, where they were dealing with a failure on a personal and, and a professional level. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, resonated as this movie went along. And Patty, in turn, I love strong female-driven mm-hmm. characters. Patty is a strong... There were two women in this movie, I yeah. felt, that were very strong-willed, and uh, they, they broke stereotype. Well, they also went along with a lot of what, and Jodie Foster has said this in interviews, kind of the characters she deals with on a personal. She has, she's played and had success playing women who are kind of detached from other things outside of what's directly affecting the story. So they don't tech need to have the romantic relationship on or the family or these responsibilities. It's really about the story that they are in, mm-hmm. their job, their it's just like kind of focused in on that aspect of their life. You're not getting a ton of backstory about where she came from or how right. she got this job or what her other responsibilities are. It's just the focus and intensity and also the stakes around mm-hmm. that this one Absolutely. component of their life. Yeah, and so why don't we? Um, I want to talk a little bit story cast here, and let's. I want to focus on. I want to talk about the two women because yeah. I think it's very. I think they're very integral. And and, and let's start off with. I want to start off with. Uh, Catriona Balf. Is Catriona. It, That's Ca- how. Catriona Balfe? Balfe? 
I Again, think it's Irish, so I think okay. he would pronounce the E. I don't know. As Diane not. Lester. Now, yeah. she is the corporate communication mm-hmm. officer of uh, of Ebbets or... Uh, or Ibis. I forget, yeah. Ibis. Yeah. Ibis. And, I mean, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but when she first came on screen, I just felt she was going to be the stereotypical company bitchy woman mm-hmm. who was going to draw the company line and try to protect the company. But there was one scene in which, for me, I was thankful. It all changed for me. I was like, oh, I like this woman. And that's when she's arguing with this other gentleman who we don't know who's part of this company. And he pretty much says, you know what? You're fired. And she just looks at him and goes, you know what? I don't answer to you. Right. F off. Yeah. Like, and she turns her back and she walks away and I'm like going... I like this character. She's going to be something different to me. And she was fantastic in this role. She's great. Yeah. I had um, from an interview from her. She describes that for preparing for the part, she found inspiration from Elaine uh, Fleischman. I forgot how to pronounce that, which is the J.P. Morgan Chase lawyer turned whistleblower mm-hmm. who provided ev- evidence that resulted in the $9 billion settlement by uh, the financial corp to the U.S. government. So she really did try. And, yeah. Like, she looked into someone who went probably through this struggle yep. where you you have to really own your power when everyone's trying to point out how much more they have yes. than you. Yeah. And and that was actually for me it was refreshing. Definitely. I, I thought she was great. And again, I just thought, oh, this is just going to be the stereotypical. She's going to take the company line and defend the company, whatever. And then at the end, she might learn that she was wrong, but nothing. But in that one instant when she says, I don't answer to you, I was like, okay. And then she became so integral to the plot, but in a great way. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, you talk about... um just expectations versus what we see. And I felt frequently in this movie I was surprised, Mm -hmm. which is great pretty much with every character. And not only were they nicely arced, but they were arced in ways that I thought surprised me. And I liked that the characters were complicated. I felt even what seemed like stock characters at first became more and more complicated to us when we learned more details about them. And I think all of the decisions that each character made could be justified in pretty valid ways, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. you, you hit a good point, too, because that's what I felt, that, 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 that hitting these simplistic plot points, they were validated in a simple way. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, there, there, there are ways in which if somebody wanted to really be nitpicky about certain things that you could do, mm-hmm. like security at a television station. Right. Yeah. And somebody, you know, I mean, there were various things, but okay, I forgive that Me because... Too. I really enjoyed the characterization uh, of these various, you know, of these actors and how they portray them, how they were written. And I really felt, too, again, uh, Patty Fenn is played by Julia Roberts. Again, another veteran actress who's just been around like forever. I mean, she's coming off of Mother's Day, which I didn't see, you know, but she's... The woman's... Mystic Pete's a pretty woman. Like, you, you know, the movies that she's been in, you can't take away from. And here she is, and I really think that in this movie she shines. And I loved how they rewrote her character. Where basically she's the heroine. She's she's the one who more or less saves everybody. Yeah. Um, and before her character was written to be just a director, okay, cut to camera two. All right, long shot over here. There wasn't much to to, to go off of, but they decided to make her a stronger character, the earpiece, mm-hmm. which I think was a fantastic mm-hmm. 
What yeah. a great, great plot device. It was... Right? I thought, <laughs> pointing it, it was one of the... The way that they created the intimacy between yeah. George Clooney's character and Julia Roberts' character, specifically through the earpiece, mm-hmm. also through him looking into camera and all these things, or when she's standing in the doorway looking like... But was always... It carried for me this whole movie. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out that for the most part they weren't even shooting together, yeah. that they were <laughs> wow. really doing this on a lot of playback, um, I like it was just amazing because I was like, this is what got me through this movie, is kind of their chemistry and that intimate, like, in each other's minds and the knowing connection or they played it so well that they were, like, seeing each other, hearing each other. Absolutely. And, you know, that was Julia was acting with a green screen a lot. She was acting to nothing mm-hmm. a lot. And it worked fantastically. But part of that does come why they were cast was because you are, as an audience, we know them together. So we already put a bond between them. Yeah, and, and, and I think Clooney felt the same way mm-hmm. because he was given the script. Uh, he, he liked the script. And they knew that they didn't have this Patty character done. He actually sent it to Julia well, and said, hey... Give this a read. Give, give this a read. And, you know, then she comes on board. And, of course, like, they even admit they got paid, like, $2. But they didn't care. Like, right. again, this is one of those prestige projects, I think, that, you know, I want to champion, mm-hmm. regardless of its flaws. Uh, because you're right. The, the, the intimacy that they share together, I, I re- even and learning later that they weren't even in the same room, but yet they still had that bond. Really and they were works. only in two scenes together, the, the, the opening and the end. You're right. Um, and yet I bought every single minute of it. And um, I think it's a testament to their... They're, they're, they're just being stalwarts in this business, yeah. being veterans to their, in this, to, to their careers mm. that you were able to do this. And I think it's a testament to Jodie Foster, who's also been in this business and has learned from so many directors. How am I going to get a crew? How are we going to use this and use their performance to make it seem as if they're actually only separated by a booth? And my, um, the earpiece is a great, great plot device. Great plot device. I saw this with my girlfriend, who actually mm-hmm. works over at Jimmy Kimmel. And there's two executive producers at that show, a woman named Jill Lederman and then Jimmy Kimmel's the other EP. And she runs the booth. And Laura said that never has she seen that relationship better quantified than in this movie, just because Jimmy and Jill are like this. It's so symbiotic. And even if they're at odds with each other, they both know... You know what I mean? So it was, I think, really fun for her, especially to just see that they nailed the relationship between like a booth runner and a host. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was perfect. Yeah. I, mean, I think part of that might come from the fact George Clooney has come out in interviews and he has talked about his relationship to the news in general and how he grew up mm-hmm. in the in a newsroom in the booth because his his father his was father. in this. Yeah. So he he was <clears throat> on the floor. He was feeding a teleprompter like pages. He grew up in this world. So he had a, a strong respect, a strong love for the newsroom and for the integrity of news and for the responsibility that he feels um, people in these positions have and need to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just going back again, strong, you know, Hollywood clamoring strong female characters and this movie delivers it and you know i think not enough is actually being said about this movie because when we go back to julia roberts again 
through her performance, through various costuming and whatnot, she basically is 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 the person who not as only she's not only directing what's going on live and camera, but she's directing everything that's going on, saving cast and crew, yeah. getting people out, saving George Clooney. She saves George Clooney through conversation, talking him through things. Sacagawea, Sacagawea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I love that whole thing. And again, I, I find it to be so important that even her character towards the end has a has has a bit of a has a bit of a change, a change of heart, mm-hmm. because we learn that 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 sh- that was probably going to be her last show. She was going to take another show, but uh, her relationship with George as we come to the end, and it wasn't just that she needed George didn't come to her rescue at all. She rescued him, right? And she finds that important. I, I just liked how the movie ended, and uh, and again, I think strong women characters really push this movie uh, going forward. You know, we have to talk. I want to save George Clooney for last because I read something that you had written uh, and, and and it made me laugh. So we're going to talk a little George Clooney, but I want to talk about Jack O'Connell. Mm. Uh, this is the guy from Unbroken. Uh, he plays Kyle. And this Kyle kid, this Jack O'Connell, I thought, nailed everything. If, any, if there ever was a tragic hero in a thriller drama political type of thriller drama i mean he is a tragic hero he was electric i thought his performance gave me chills and it was very it's funny because it was intense and angry but it was pretty varied like i feel like we saw when his fear was we saw when his anger was coming from a place of fear we saw when his anger was coming from a place of legitimate rage we saw when it was coming from a place of sadness and I think in a real-time movie like this, it can be hard to give a really nuanced performance because you only have so much time chronologically to change your character, if that makes sense. Sure. But I bought every choice he made. And the only other actor I could have seen in this role was Aaron Paul. I thought maybe he would have been... Because I, I kind of got Shades of Jesse Pinkman a little bit. Sure. <laughs> um, but I don't want to take this away from Jack O'Connell because it was really, really great, I thought. Yeah. I said from the beginning, what I needed to make this work is I want to believe that if you're going to represent um, someone holding a news studio hostage, I need to believe that people are in danger. Mm-hmm. I It is a pet peeve of mine when I go into a movie, TV show, whatever sort of media, and I'm like, I know that you are not ever going to shoot that gun. Right. Like, if I know that within the first five minutes, I'm like... Malfoy and Harry Potter is who that is for me. Yeah, like I'm just like I just I'm just like I just the, and for me, although um, I kind of figured George Clooney was gonna be okay for most of the time, I did think that he was a danger to the people around him. I thought that maybe someone could get caught in crossfire or when he's shooting at the television strings. I just thought they represented it really well and held up the stakes of he really could hurt someone. I believed it. Yeah, I mean, I for me it was more on like his pain. I it wasn't necessarily I wasn't necessarily fearing for George Clooney because right early on the first time he did mm-hmm. his countdown is um, you know, in the count of three, I'm gonna pull the trigger. He got the three, he didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then something happened shortly thereafter. I was like, oh, oh okay. So he's not he's he just wants his answers. He just mm-hmm. lost a ton of cash. He's just trying to figure out what's going on, bring certain things to light. But his performance was so, uh, I think you said it, electric and so captivating and intense 
the and the scene where they bring the girlfriend, which to me, we talk about a twist again. This could have gone so cliche, like, "Honey, what are you Honey, doing? Like, home. you know, come yeah. home. You know, I love you." That, that I'm getting chills. I have legit like, goosebumps Okay, like that girl rips into him, and and it comes after what I think is a very important scene in that movie, because Clooney's doing the. All right, let's let's do the check. Let's do the point things. Like uh-huh. I've got money, you don't. That's a point for me. You've got this, I don't. That's a point for you. And the kid, you know, uh, uh, Kyle says, "Yeah, well, but you've got a ton of money. Right. Like your life, like you don't have to look at price tags. Like your life is set. I don't. I don't have this. And if it were further, like where he loses all his points, is when his fiance." Just comes out and says, pretty much on live TV, you're a loser, you're a jerk, you're, you're a failure. Failure was a word that was used yeah. many times. And boy, Plan B just didn't work out the way I think they expected it to. That broke my heart, that yeah. scene. My stomach turned inside out. And yeah. I didn't. that was probably the biggest surprise of the movie for me, which I applaud the script because you're right, it would have been so easy to play it as we expected, and then she rips into him. It was very courageous. And it went for a while. Choice. I know. <laughs> it didn't go for a short time. That was and brutal. And it was publicly, and if anything, if that's going to awaken, I see you have something to say. I'm trying not to. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. But go ahead. But that, that was part of, I loved how much she ripped into him. Uh-huh. I really bothered me that no one fought to shut it off. Yeah, that's true. Um, because we'd already seen or established that the negotiator did not do a good job. We've already, like, I just, there were certain aspects of the believability where I was like, you are just letting her do this. This is obviously going to not improve your situation. Also, the fact that no one screened her, like, all of these elements where I was like, really? You're going to just let her keep, like... This tirade on uh, on live TV with all these people, I, it just I was kind of like, I, I want. Although I enjoyed her performance yeah. and though I enjoyed the twist, for me it was it passed the line of a believability because of how long it went on. And and for me, uh, I'll, I'll, I I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I defend it because it really had to. There had to be something to punctuate his failure here. Mm-hmm. And, and that things are going to go awry. It, there also needed something. It wasn't just for that character. It wasn't just for Kyle's character. It was definitely for the Lee Gates character. Mm-hmm. That's because true. Lee Gates, like, you know, he's still trying to figure out, what the, what the hell? He goes, 60, he still doesn't comprehend that $60,000, like, what it means to this kid. Because right. $60,000 to him is, is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. It really resonates to, again, our two men have failing things. One is a humanistic failure where he forgets about his humanity. And this really, like, he was just doing a points to show, look at buddy, I'm better than you. And this punctuates that, geez, I really don't have it that bad. Like, hold my head. And I, I get that it went on for a while. Mm-hmm. and But it was just so, it was such an exclamation point to Kyle's plight, yeah. and then for George Clooney, for me anyways, to recognize, oh my head, like, yeah, I, now I, it started to dawn on Marble Head that these stakes are dire for this kid, yeah. and now they've just, because of me, 
they've just gotten worse. It's you're so right, and it's funny because I agree with you. It was unbelievably long, not unbelievably in the sense, just like it. You have she to just sus- went, and nobody. Just no one stopped her. No one. And it's so. But it's what's funny for me is if I like a movie enough, and I uh, if I can defend the show, I forgive things. And it's the same with Aaron Sorkin. Sometimes his characters will go on two minute long tirades, and it's like no one actually talks like this. But if if it works for me, and I feel like it's serving the story in a really effective way, I'm so quick to forgive that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. And because it, and I'm probably less inclined to forgive mm-hmm. because I think Demetrius is going to get to a point that like. I did not hop on board as quickly to this movie um, as I I think the general audience did because there were a couple of things that became pet peeves. Yeah. So I'm not as willing to forgive everything. Mm-hmm. And although I can say I liked it, especially because of the character relationship and there's so ma- there are so many good points in this, I can't love it because of some of the found some of the foundation, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and for me that foundation was for the for the purpose of this storytelling, I understand why it happened. I'm with and you, and it didn't bother. Like I get it, and you know, I was like, God, they're, they're just. I mean, she's just going on a tirade. <laughs> this is a monologue. And this it was ruthless. Yeah, and and it was so heart piercing. Yeah. And to see, and again, Jack O'Connell's response to this was like. What the hell did I do? Right. Like, What's I mean, left? if anybody was deflated, <laughs> I mean, the audience felt it. And through Jack O'Connell's just posture, I thought that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, an, for me, it was, a, it was a really great scene and what it lent to the rest of the movie is going forward. Let's talk about good old George Clooney, another veteran actor who, in his own right, he's a movie star. Like he is a movie star who's 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 done it all. Like this is a guy uh, started off in the facts of life, you know, gets this stint on ER, becomes really popular, wants to get into movies, you know, um, starts you know starts slowly but surely building a career in movies. Producer, he he directs. Um, you know, he is a he's a movie star. Mm-hmm. Not all of his movies are bona fide hits, but I don't care. The man has a charisma that so few actors today do, and he's been around for such a long time. I found it bold for him to take this movie because, you know, his his, his past two performances, in fact, Hail Caesar, a Coen Brothers movie, in which, you know, the, the sword and sandal kind of epic thing that they were making fun of, and here he is in a Julius Caesar kind of a thing. He, he's just, he, he's, the perception of George Clooney, like, you would never think him taking a role that doesn't really put him in a good light. It doesn't, this character is not a particularly great character, mm-hmm. and he's just putting it out there. Right. And you had something funny that I read, uh, and it, it did, it made me laugh. You said, um, I could have done with, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I could have done without the George Clooney dancing. Oh, I just straight up, I said George Clooney's dancing should have been axed. Yes, that's what it Cutting was. Cutting room been axed. floor. It, yeah. I was, to me, that was the whole shtick. Like, well, that was the whole shtick of this show. Like, the, this show is, uh, it's almost, it almost border, borders on parody mm-hmm. of what, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these shows um, on, on, like, CNN or such but, do. Go but ahead. that's my issue, kind yeah. of, is that it did border too close to parody for me. And I understood, like, the point and, like, the made fun of it because 
I'm there are shows out there that where you have over the top sh- to get an audience to have that entertainment factor, and I understand the theme, and they have put it forward that. This is about revealing when a man thinks he's delivering the news, but really he's delivering entertainment right. and what that line is. And Jodie Foster has come out, and from a directing perspective, she even says, although she's drawn to movies acting-wise that are typically more dramatic, she can't. She doesn't like to direct something without a hint of comedy. Right. And while certain parts of her comedy worked, like the cameraman getting it, not wanting to get in the elevator yeah. or... Um, kind of the balls joke that was repeatedly done, those elements worked. For me, this very kind of outlandish dancing, really, really like being like, let's take this extreme, bothered me. Mm-hmm. It To me, it kind of really was a, it was a different tone. And then underneath that, it, it's a believability pet peeve, is that it put my mind from the very get-go... I did not trust George Clooney's opinion. Mm. From the very get-go, I was like, okay, you're acting like a buffoon. I do think of this as entertainment and not as a respectable show. As an audience member, if that show existed in real life, I would never, ever listen to what his advice was. And I don't care what happens to anyone who does listen to his advice because he's an idiot. So the fact that someone lost their money based off what an idiot who's dancing on TV said doesn't get me. Hmm. Versus but when George Clooney, who kind of delivers it straight and goes into his more like, okay, I'm going to host this, then I do get invested. And I would, but from that believability standpoint from the get-go, I never enjoyed the Money Monster show. Mm -hmm. So it took me longer to get invested in someone who was kind of stupid enough to have listened <laughs> to his advice. I get that. Yeah, I, I sort of do, but watch Jim Kramer on CNN. Right, money. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't dance around and even though they they have been very, 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 very extremely, extremely, can I get my point across, deliberate in saying his character is not based off of Jim Kramer's uh, uh, Mad Money show. Um, I get it because to me, it was the self-parody that this is what this man has become. Mm-hmm. He is. I, I never doubted that he was a that that he was a financial genius. Like I, I got that he knew what he's talking about in numbers, and that came across and like he, like he was right. He could see trends and such, but he became so enamored of his his fame and popularity, mm-hmm. and, and he just built on that, that he lost his humanity. I mean, this is a guy that said, like, if somebody was canceling dinner on him, what? He's like, somebody's canceling dinner? Like, I'm never alone. I'm never alone on any given night during the week. I have everything planned because mm-hmm. I'm famous. And it was his celebrity that, that became, that overpowered his humanity. And I think him finding his humanity again, I think that the mad, uh, I think that the Money Monster show, like if there were to go on, there was going to be changes in that show. It oh, wasn't going I, to be I agree the same. with that. And I understand yeah. his arc and I like yeah. his character, but it still took, it just took me a long time to get invested. And because it took me so long and I wasn't on board, I don't forgive as much. Yeah. And like yeah. all these little things pop up that I'm like, mm. Believability. Believability. Yeah, see, I bought it, though. To me, I believed it. Because that's TV. Right, that's how I feel, That's a lot of that TV stuff is. And I think it's interesting, the point that you bring up, which I think is really interesting, like, you 
you blame those who bought into what he was saying because the show was so cartoony. I would counter that like most cable news is, and yet 80% of Americans tune into either the most left show on MSNBC or the most right show on Fox mm-hmm. and buy right. that as their news. So like I kind of perceive that like more as, you know, it's more of a critique on the entertainment industry. It's more a critique on, you know, it's... But I think it's a more yeah, fascinating. The yes, there's a. I'm not <laughs> so, saying that there's not craziness yeah. on TV yeah. news polish. I'm not saying that, but I find it more fascinating for the people who say it's straight mm-hmm. and still are just saying it yeah. for entertainment. Like in the big short. Yes, like there is just as much lies or people pretending to say what they know that are saying it like this is the but, fact I am an expert. But the but the big short was an indictment on media. Yeah, like yeah, it was right. an indictment on Wall Street yeah. and those people. Yeah. You know, this is the, again. This is why I sort of kind of go on the wall, uh, uh, not in a Wall Street on the on the network mm-hmm. kind of uh, um, you know what wh- what I thought about network because again, network is purely only an indictment of media and news and which resonates as much today as that movie did in the seventies. It still works, and I'm not, you know, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, this is what the media has become, and I I liked how the George Clooney's character of Lee Gates realizes that he has become a buffoon, and because he knows that he's smart, and he never thought to ask the questions until this Kyle Budwell Mm -hmm. came in, because he bought into the whole, well, it's a glitch. Right. It's a glitch. And the whole premise is mm-hmm. if he's believing the lies, if they were lied to, that means he, and he even says it, that means I've been lying yeah. to my audience. Yeah. And you but you to me you have to show that this is a guy that has gone so far into his own mind and celebrity that he's got to figure out his fall somehow mm-hmm. and Kyle Budwell bringing that to you because he didn't even it's a glitch who mm-hmm. they, they're telling me it's a glitch I buy I buy right into it so and it isn't until they start doing their investigating which to me I found to be a, a, a fun a great process as well um, you know I found that to be that that was the main crux of his arc so uh, you know his dancing I thought was funny I know the audience that I saw it with they were they were laughing but you were supposed to right and the mere fact that he's putting himself out there he just doesn't look that good yeah he looks like me dancing yeah no true it's interesting um, <laughs> for me this was actually the only casting that I maybe could have seen someone else in the role I didn't love George Clooney in this movie I thought it was good I think I would have wanted to see a more charactery actor actually play this role and it was fun to see George Clooney be pushed in that way, because normally he plays a pretty straight leading man, which he was a leading man in this movie, but he had clownish tendencies. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have been fun to see like a more, I can't think of a good example right now, but maybe like a more New York kind of talking guy. or I don't know, something a little broader, because mm-hmm. honestly, to be frank, I'm not always a huge George Clooney fan in general. I don't necessarily get the appeal that other, I mean, he's a movie star and he has been forever, but... This was for me the character I made, or casting I could have seen swapped and been a little happier. But Interesting. That's okay. I mean, he put in a good performance. I want to yeah. give that to him. But. I thought, I, again, yeah, performance is what really kept me attached yeah. and focused uh, on this movie. So, you know, I want to, um, you know, what, what, what brings out performance? But there's directing and production. <laughs> right. Uh, and. You know, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, I want to spend some time on Jodie Foster 
in just a bit. But I want to talk about uh, a little bit about this production here because for me, what they accomplished, how they accomplished it, and the mere fact that, you know, in today's standards, 27 or so million dollars is not a huge, that's a very modest budget. Uh, this is a Sony Sony Pictures, uh, you know, release, a TriStar, and I'm getting it. And what I really enjoyed, too, is the the real-time aspect of this. And we really were looking at this movie as an audience. We're looking at this movie from a couple of vantage points. We're looking at it from a broadcast vantage point, and then we're looking at it from a film vantage point. Um, they basically, you know, they were saying that Jodie Foster herself was facing a new challenge in Money Monster show because it was shot by four different broadcast cameras, plus as filmmakers you needed to use a film camera. So how do you get the look and feel, and what do you know what you're going to cut to? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and broadcast cameras are not compatible with film cameras. But I felt that in the real time of this, this felt sort of kind of real. Mm-hmm. Like for me, uh, you know, as a viewer, which I thought they pulled off fantastic. I, I thought they pulled it off great. Agreed. And we'll get into this, but a lot of that also owes to editing, because when you have so many vantage points, you have to balance the choices you make about the filter of what you're seeing, what you're hearing audio. Am I hearing the booth? Am I hearing Jodie Foster? Am I hearing the broadcast? It's not easy to pull off a movie about a movie or a movie about a TV show, because there are so many specific perception details that Mm -hmm. you have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And I agree, I was never taken out of it. I agree. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and and over here too, like the broadcast cameras give the feel of a live television show, which we were saying, but then the film cameras get right there next to the characters. Mm -hmm. And it was a really interesting dichotomy. And again, another, I think it's another, not necessarily an indictment on the media, but how... Like, when you're looking through the broadcast cameras, things look like they're on, quote-unquote, TV. Mm-hmm. When we get down to the nitty-gritty, when there were, when it was a film camera showing, like, that kid's emotions when he's getting drilled, or the conversation, or just a look up, mm-hmm. like, with, with, with Clooney in the earpiece, and he'd turn around, or just whatever dialogue he and Kyle were going through, you know, it really did lend... Uh, a, a different feel to this movie, and then when we cut to the broadcast, you know, it was almost like we're watching two different movies, but take taking place in mm-hmm. this real time. Mm-hmm. And I thought they juggled it, and production design wise, I thought that they did a fantastic job. That, I definitely lighting, agree. You know, and um, you know, and then we had to go outside, you know, uh, New York, and that obviously is is, is film uh, what we're doing, but that had a completely different look than when they were on. Uh, in that sound booth or in that sound stage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought that that was a lot. Uh, and then when you're editing a movie like this, I mean, you know, you, you get, you're, you're, editing's always putting a puzzle together, but when you have these different graphics that you have to deal with, how do you keep it so that there's a good pace? Um, I think they succeeded. I think uh, I was ju- just trying to find the, the, the editor's name, who did such a... I thought he was... Just amazing. Me too. Um, Matt, I don't want to. I want to say it's Chessy, not Cheese. C H E S S E. I know. Chessy. I would. Let's for Chess. his sake say Chessy. <laughs> spelled yeah. just like Cheese. You know, and uh, you know that this guy. He's he's done a few movies like World War Z, uh, Quantum of Solace, uh, Finding Neverland, Warrior. He did a fantastic job there. So in this movie, I really thought that he and Jodie Foster were great together and. 
not only setting tone, but a good pace. Mm-hmm. You know, se- setting, you know, a, a, a suspense comes from uh, a lot of your editing as well. And, and again, focusing on the character and knowing, knowing when to cut at the right time. I thought, uh, I thought this guy did a really, really uh, good job. Yeah, and just, again, like with so many options as to how to watch the action, we can watch the action from the booth, we can watch the action from the floor, we can watch the action from the TV screen. I thought the balance of choosing each of those vantage points was perfect Mm -hmm. and, like, well-timed, and I was, instead of being taken out of it, I was constantly being pulled in. So I think that's a credit to the editing and definitely the directing as well. Yeah, yeah. and and the other trend that, that seems to be popular uh, more and more is that everything that was filmed on stage was shot in order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about various yeah. movies that they're shooting things in order more and more. And, you know, whether that's time constraint, money, const- you know, it fits in with a budget. But it makes sense in this movie that when I read that, I was like, oh, OK, mm-hmm. you know, and this is all going to build up to, you know, this this. The girlfriend explosion. This is all going to build up to the guys who are in the catwalks, which I was like, how the hell do they get up? And, like, did nobody notice these people up in the catwalks? <laughs> Again, no, those no are one things, noticed yeah, people up in the catwalks. And, Said and, Sarah with believability rage. On the other you side. know, well, again, it's one of those <laughs> things it. that it was very, again, I go back to there, there are simplistic plot points in this movie uh-huh. that move the story along. It's whether you're going to buy into, you know, like just some kid walking into a studio with a box with with like no security at a door and relying on coincidence because up oh, this door opened because these people are going right. out for me forgivable only because I was so engaged in in performance and where this was going to go uh that's what I really appreciated but I also appreciated that 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 a bulk of this film was was actually done in one central location and in order, mm-hmm. you know, to build up tension. That's got to be a little bit difficult. You know, your actors too have to go on a slow burn. Yeah. So, That's you know, true. I appreciated that. Appreciated that. Appreciated that. Um, uh, very well. Um, and then um, the 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 art department. Uh, able to uh, able to design a set that provided ample visual contrast and heightened tension, which mm-hmm. I think it did, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, complete set design, two different looks on the broadcast with bright colors and even exposures, and other for film with more moody atmosphere and different angles. Uh, when you cut together, you can create some tension and dynamic you don't, you know, normally see. And an interesting thing to think about, too, is from, like, a continuity perspective. Um, if you're playing out a movie in real time, right. you can never forgive a continuity mistake from a storytelling perspective because, you know, in a movie, if it's the next day and their hair looks different, it's the next day. Sure. Yeah. But if George Clooney's hair changes in one frame, it's been no time has passed. So you got to credit wardrobe makeup and continuity and editing in that way, too, because... We won't forgive a continuity mistake if time isn't changing at all. Yeah, and and let let us not forget. Let's bring up that point we brought up um, closer to the top of the show. Clooney and Roberts weren't together. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy, <laughs> right? So when you think about all that and editing, like that—that that to me is the kind of movie they did magic. A really nice that, job. Yeah, yeah. And again, it only works when 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 everybody's collaborating together. That well-oiled machine between director editor. Uh, production designer performance. Let's let's not make this look like we're apart. Let's make this work. Let's we're gonna film over here, even though Julia Roberts is overseas doing whatever. I mean, that to me is uh, it's a, it, that, that's 
that's great movie magic, mm-hmm. you know. So um, where else do we want to uh, where else do we want to go uh, and, and 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 talk about whether anything changed or uh, we talked about wardrobe a little bit. Um, we, we talked a little bit about the editing of the movie. Um, is there anything else that uh, that you folks had done in your research that uh, that you'd want to bring up and talk about? And um, well, I just think that. As we've been talking about it, I think that they did, as you said, bring a really strong team together. And the components of the movie they created from point of view, from sound, from intimacy, from wardrobe, all of those were very succinct. It's just, and it's just making me feel like I'm like, I want to love this movie. Mm -hmm. I do. Like, I, I, there's a lot of things I can give it credit for in performance and chemistry and direction. And I'm like, but... It's hard to fully get on board when I do have story issues. And I guess that that does come down to the script, which went through a lot of changes. So I yeah. guess it yeah. makes sense. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, it, it's funny. I, I don't discredit you for that. Like I, And neither do the critics. We'll get there. But this, I think we received this movie more warmly than a lot of critics have. Yeah, absolutely. I'd admit that. Um, but but I'd say they're all wrong. I know they're no, all no. wrong. Only to me. Except for Sarah. Yes. Um, no, but, I, I but, but, no, but but it, everything you said, I'm not like I yeah. can't deny. But at the same time, and we'll get into it critic wise. I, I I was so engaged in this movie that right. yes, I saw the flaws. I, I saw the flaws, and and like okay, but see. Here's another thing that I respect about the writing of the movie because mm-hmm. there was a there was a major flaw that was taking place for me that I was like going what the. I was like, what the fuck, people? And then, actually, they cut to a show. Like, they're walking down the street. That This kid has a bomb strapped to his shoulder, and everybody's crowding him. And I'm like, where the hell is the crowd control? Like, he has a bomb. Yeah. On a, he can, bl- like, what are people, yeah. stupid? And then I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, people are really stupid. Like, you know, but I liked when they cut to that to that other show, and the guy's like, what are you? This isn't OJ, people. Right. He's got a bomb. It's yeah. like, yeah. what are you doing? And I and I, I at least was happy that they acknowledged that. Yeah, I. I and, and it was actually funny too. Yeah, they used that as a joke, which was nice. Like that wasn't one of my bigger ones. I think that where it really got to me, and maybe some other people have said as well, is just that if you're going, everything they cut. If you could just, if you just showed me kind of what happened in studio. What happened between those three characters? I would, I think, I'd be more on your ends page. Mm-hmm. I would loved it for all of the um, the aspects we've been talking about. But because they opened my eyes to these other outside characters uh, in the company of Ibis, in other countries, in a, a mine in South Africa, I'm I was so curious about them. And because you kept reiterating. How did this happen? How did this happen? This is not a glitch. This is not a glitch. I just, I wanted to know more. And that part felt so messy. And although it was the key catalyst, it was such a Mm backseat and almost felt so dismal and quick at the ending. And the pace was weird for that section that I just... It's like pick one. Either make it... uh 
I was like, is this a character or is this you trying to tell me about the financial world or is this about the greater corruption story? And when I focus in on the character piece, that's the strongest part of this movie and I really like it. Mm -hmm. But because you gave me these other pieces, I have to also judge them as well. Yeah, Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, And again, I I think that the movie can suffer a little bit only because it it follows the big short. Yeah. And um, which is based off of a true story, based off Mm -hmm. a very popular book. Again, this movie is not there to grapple. This movie, to me, was more character-driven. It wasn't there. Like, the plot of this, the the, the getting screwed, uh, you know, that... Wall Street was just the villain. Like, they were a villain to, you know, a fictitious character, um, you know, and, and I appreciated how they didn't... Yes, it was simplistic. They simplified what this glitch was all about, but I also appreciated that... So we have these people... The, 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 like, that one question that they never asked, like, who is your, uh, uh, what's it called? Who is your tech guy? Um, mm-hmm. I think there was a word, oh, uh, uh, that began uh, with a Q or a quants. 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 Where'd you get your quants from? Who, yeah. who set that up? And they're like, what? And then when they found that, that guy, and he's like, but it made sense because he's like, dude, I, yeah, I set that up. It's, it's math. Like, you can't. Math doesn't make a mistake. This is all, this has human fingerprints, like, all over it. And for this movie, for what it's trying to do, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to buy that, McGovern, because I don't need to know, I don't need to, I know that I'm not seeing the big short. Right. Where it's going to go in detail as to what quants are and this and that. This movie is at a very brisk 97 minutes, which, which you know, which was great. I love it. Um, <laughs> And, um, yeah, all these simple things, I didn't need further explanation. It was done in, in such a way that, that I was like, okay, I get it. Yep, it's, it's, it's got to be a human error. It's definitely not, and it makes sense because it's an logarithm. Like, it's not the math side that, that broke down. This is where you have to look. And, you know, yes, they tie it into this country, to South Africa and all this. And, yeah, I mean, it gets it gets. Murky. Murky and complicated, but yet at the same time they explained it and you're like, okay, this Wall Street guy, this Ibis, you know, the guy's a jerk. And he even says, eh, I'm a jerk, so what, big deal, what are you going right. to do? There's no law saying I can't do what I did until they found him on a video camera, which, you know, again, technology brings the guy down. So a whole other thing. But... Um. <laughs> I get. It. I hear both of you. I agree with Dimitri, but I respect what you're saying. Yeah, no, and, and I, I understand it too. And mm-hmm. and and I, you can see where that comes from. But for me, for the purposes of this particular story, like I, I wasn't expecting this to be another big short. Yeah, you know, this is just a straightforward. It was more mm-hmm. of a character piece, and and it really was about these two men coping with their various. Failures. Stages of failure mm-hmm. within the professional and personal lives. So um, let's go into, um, we got to talk now. We do have to talk about Jodie Foster. Jodie. Got to talk about Jodie Foster. Um, you know, first and foremost, um, right off the top, I mean, she always has a special place in my heart. She was, I felt like I grew up with her. I mean, she's, she's my lead actress in Freaky Friday. Mm-hmm. Not that other girl. Um, <laughs> you know, she, you know, growing up, you know, and when you when you talk about insurmountable odds and hurdles that this that this woman has has gone through in her career and life, 
uh, you know, whether whether it be uh, an assassination attempt that was said to be because to impress her as a young adult, <laughs> you know, taken from taxi driver, uh, and then choosing to go to school and opt out of acting for a while and get an education, um, making a personal decision that shouldn't matter to anybody but that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, but persevering in this business uh, as a woman. And to me, uh, she's one of, she has a couple of Academy Awards under her belt. Uh, you know, to me, she is just special. She's just a wonderful person. I did have the, you know, if you've watched this show, uh, you can look me up on IMDb. I worked on Contact. So I actually got to see her perform cool. and interact in a very small way. Not that she ever invited me to a dinner or anything like that, but she's just a in this business, perseverance, what she's what she's had to go through and what she's accomplished, uh, I think is just purely amazing. It's a class act. A very class act. And yeah. she's done it with style, grace, and dignity mm-hmm. and strength and poise. And she's a great actress, but now she's actually even turning into a very solid director. This is a departure for her, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make this kind of a suspense, kind of a thriller and doing it on a modest budget, even though for her it was her biggest movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she handled herself just great. I thought she really pulled this together very well. And she's a name that I still think says something. And with this movie, I think people have been enjoying it and liking it. B plus, I believe, on CinemaScore. Uh, yeah, I can't say enough about Jodie Foster. So I support her in, in, in all of her endeavors. But the mere fact that she's persevered when so many other people would have just given up. Mm-hmm. And she continues to... Uh, it's good to see her back. It's good yeah. to see her back. What do you think, sir? Yeah. Of Jodie Foster? Yeah. And her, and her general career? I mean, she has... done so much she's definitely someone i respect um when they really pressed this movie press wise a lot of touring a lot of interviews um really trying to get out there i think when she did look to make a movie like a network or she she references that all the time and I think because of her strengths as an actor and her ability to bring this team together, there are really strong components of that point of view. Her blend of um, kind of following the story is good. However, since I have problems with the intense comedy tone in the beginning and the, for me, I'm confused on if the message was to completely create a character piece or two it seems just like really broad themes a little bit like let's make a broad theme about how um finances can be corrupt and Mm -hmm. how and it and i don't know if that was really the point i don't think this was a subtle movie i agree with you and it's for me. I didn't mind that. I sometimes I love subtle movies. Some of my favorite movies are like mm-hmm. character dramedies, but I kind of like when a movie has a point of view. It knows what it wants to do, and it just like assuredly attacks that point of view. It, okay, it assuredly attacked it, but it didn't work, in my opinion, back it up fully. Like you assuredly attacked the fact that news can be entertainment mm-hmm. and not news, but you did it so drastically that I didn't 
believe it. Yeah. And then you thoroughly attacked that people put their livelihoods in a system that no one understands, but then you didn't make me understand anymore. So, yeah, I understood the themes. I understood the message. I understood the power. I was intrigued because of the what she brought out in certain aspects of this film. But to me, sometimes it's like, these are our problems. Yeah. And I didn't believe everything that you built up in the Again, problem. I'll just go back. This is just a movie. This mm-hmm. movie was made. This wasn't the big short. This mm-hmm. movie wasn't made. Wall Street's the bad guy in this movie. Right. Much like Wall Street, Gecko was the bad guy in Wall Street. Yeah. Like, you don't have to understand, like, all the technicalities of Wall Street to understand that when somebody comes up and says, you know, Wall Street is, is you know, you don't have to understand that greed is good. Like, that's an indictment of not only Wall Street, but that was an indictment of the 80s. That's Oliver Stone coming mm-hmm. out. But Wall Street was the bad guy in that movie. Wall Street's the bad guy in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like there's an indictment on Wall Street. I think that making Wall Street a bad guy today is easy because everybody can identify, um, especially in today's social, economical um, um, you know, process. Like, people feel like, you know, especially after the collapse... People today still feel like they're being screwed. Mm-hmm. If they didn't, there wouldn't be a Bernie Sanders running for, yeah. you know. And, and, yeah. and again, I think it's a sign of the times. And I wasn't looking for a huge breakdown. I think what Joe, and again, you, you had said it um, when we when we briefly talked about Jodie Foster, when you talked about she tries to choose projects. You know, life has some comedic moments in it, and she has to have that. But her, that dichotomy in her is she doesn't pick roles to act like comedy she she said comedy is not my thing mm-hmm. i don't have the the energy she goes you know comedy is hard for me drama to do that 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 for her she's is easy to do but for comedy you got to keep a certain level yeah. of energy going up all the time you got to be on like I understand, i've never really seen her in necessarily a comedy outside of Freaky Friday, but she was a kid. It was a Disney movie. Right. You know, so, and and I get the, the comedic elements in, in Money Monster, I felt, in any type of a situation, in any type of a movie, whether it's a horror movie, you know, comedy is always used to, like, just deflate the air out of the tire just mm-hmm. a little bit. Let's take, let's, like, we're going to we're gonna make you laugh. We're going to slow down the tension. Maybe it's getting, you know, whether it's a political thriller, whether it's a horror movie, you know. And I think she, for me anyways, the balancing act, you know, she, she, did, a, she did a fair job for what is, it is a simple movie. Like, this movie doesn't want to necessarily, to me, it didn't confuse the audience. It just set up a villain. Mm-hmm. Here's your villain. How do we how do we undermine the villain? And here's your characters that got screwed over by the villain. And basically, Kyle is there to say, look, I don't want my money back. I just want to be proven that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Tell and, me something. And tell me something. And, you know, it's funny because I was thinking of Civil War, Captain mm-hmm. America Civil War. That's all Captain America really wanted to do. Like, I want to be proven that I'm right. I know, like, there's this stupid act, but I, look, there's more to what's going on around me, and you've got to listen to me because I know that I'm right. Mm-hmm. I'm arguing that I'm right. And Kyle goes into this, and he ain't Captain America, and he lost his, his money, and he's like, I'm not buying that this is a glitch. You know that it's not a glitch. 
and yet you go out there and you're telling people glitch? Like, that's millions of billions of dollars were lost on a glitch, and you're not even, like, you don't even care. Mm -hmm. And to me, Jodie Foster got that Tying these pieces of the story together, I thought she did a, a very capable job for going out of what people would say her wheelhouse is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love The Beaver, which she directed, um, but that was a much more... To me, that movie takes a director who can pull out great performances, but doesn't necessarily need to worry about a lot of technicalities because it's a character yes. movie. You know, it's conversations. Um, what impressed me about this movie was there was a lot of specific cinematic technicalities that she was concerned... Like, she had to concern mm-hmm. herself with... I mean, it was, I thought, a beautifully sweeping camera. But there are so many details. You know, are we in the booth? Are we on the floor? Where are we? Are we in it? Like, she just, and that's a lot for a director. Absolutely. To manage. And she was great. I never felt like I was pulled out of it. And I think one of the strengths that maybe helped her as a director here was, I think this is the kind of movie she would have been great in. Like, I think... A younger Jodie Foster, or maybe even I think she could have been. She could have been Patty. That was my thought, and I was like, you know, if you're gonna take on an ambitiously technical movie like this, because I don't know if she's really directed one. She's directed theatrical movies that demand a great performance director, but if you're gonna pick a movie like that, pick one that you tonally can recognize. Right. And this was smart. This was a great first blockbustery movie for her. I thought to go for. I think a couple times I agree with you. There was a couple moments where she chose to mind comedy, and I felt like it didn't play perfectly. And I'd say 90% of the laughs I thought were perfectly placed, perfectly timed. A couple times I thought, that felt a little green as a director, maybe. Her strengths are very strong, and she's working on her weaknesses. So I'm glad to see that she is going out of the box Uh and improving more. But to me, like... Maybe it's because her strengths are so good that I yeah. notice all of the parts I don't like more. Yeah, who that's knows? Fair. I, it was rare for me, but just a couple of times it seemed a little novice The comedy felt a little mm-hmm. bit, I don't know, almost just green, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, again, when you look at her theatricals, you, you mentioned The Beaver. She also did Home for the Holidays, mm-hmm. uh, her first uh, feature, Little Man Tate. You know, all of those movies have some semblance of comedy in them, but they're very heavy dramas. Right. You know, and I think for her, like, this is a, for me anyways, watching this movie, it's a big departure for her. Like I said, there were times I was watching this and I had to remind myself, wow, Jodie Foster did this. And I think when you're working on things like House of Cards or even Orange is the New Black, that helps. Uh, I can't wait to see what else she does. And again, since we are talking about Hollywood and this theme of, you know, we need stronger women, uh, you know, why are you, you know, th- th- you don't have to look that much farther. There, there's a cadre of wonderful, strong, talented women who could step up to the plate to direct, uh, write. Um, a lot of them are on TV, but somebody like Jodie Foster. Like I look forward to what she's what her next project is going to be. Are they gonna give her a bigger budget? Is she like I, I just it will it be a bigger movie? Will she go back to making a smaller, more personal, independent kind of a movie? Whatever it is, I think she, I think coming back theatrically, Money Monster was a good platform for her to get back into the theatrical. It's a nice balance between a movie that demands great performances, but a movie that proves you can direct a blockbuster. You know, it wasn't, it's not like we were watching a, um, gosh, I can't even think of his name right now, a Transformers Explosion Eater. Michael Bay. We weren't watching a Michael Bay movie, but she proved that she can 
manage those technicalities, but we weren't watching, you know, like... Uh, Two people sit in a room and talk. Right. right. So it was a great... This proved a lot for me, for her. Great. Yeah, same for, you know, same here. So why don't we go into and start talking about reception, uh, box office, and what we're, you know, what what could follow. Um, you know, we did talk about, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, 55% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is right smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, yet the cinema score is a B plus. Not an A minus, but it's a B plus. And I'm, I'm in the B plus category with this movie. You know, box office wise, not too shabby when you consider about 27 million for the production budget, you got to figure, like, from a marketing standpoint, I'm sure Sony didn't throw the, the full 40 to 50 million into this, but they at least put in another 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. So we're talking somewhere mid 50s, low, low, low to mid 50s, all, you know, budgetary, all in, prints, uh, hard drives, and advertising and such. I think they did a pretty decent job uh, marketing this movie. I know up until its release, there was barely a movie that I didn't see this trailer playing on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and to your point, uh, you know, they Made they the worked rounds. this movie, mm-hmm. and they did something very interesting too. I felt um, they they were waiting for reception at Cannes, which was about maybe a week prior to its release. Or the week of release where they were going to show it because there were no reviews. I kept on I looking. I know, me too. And that was scaring me. I was like, there are no reviews on Money Monster? Ooh, that's not good. And then Can was coming, and you hear that they're going to be there. I said, they're probably waiting for the Can response, which a lot of the reviews came out fair to middling, but the audience really enjoyed. Got a standing out Can. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, did you folks see the trailer a lot uh, like I did? I know. I saw I this saw trailer. I saw the trailer. A lot. I saw a lot of stuff. Uh, I thought that. Really, where I got the circuit is the interviews. Mm-hmm. Julie Roberts and George Clooney as a pair doing a ton of press for this, really pushing it. Um, but people came out. What people were predicting it was going to be at about eleven, and then it came in at fifteen. And people were really <laughs> praising that and being like, "It's coming in above expectations." And for me, I was like, I felt like they purposely kind of said Maybe. it was going to be lower to make it seem like, "Oh, this is a success." Yeah. Instead of saying like, "Oh, what do we think?" Just these, the star power would bring in for something like this. Yeah, it's it's you know, uh, it, I wouldn't put it past the studio yeah. to, to to lower its expectations yeah. on how our movie does. But again, when a movie does around fifteen of this type, mm-hmm. you don't again. This is the kind of movie that sort of kind of slowly, like as Jodie Foster said, they don't make these kinds of movies anymore. It's a rated R movie number one. Uh, they drop the f bomb a lot, and it, it's only because of language. Right. I mean, in all honesty, there, you know, there was there was little violence, you know, in this film. Um, so it was virtually rated R because of language. They kept it in there. They made a rated R movie for 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 adults. Um, and again, and it's dealing with a topic of, of financial. You know, you're not expecting teenagers to go see this movie, so. It's not back, it's not like it was back in the day, the 80s or the 90s or the 70s, where you'd make a movie like this and it would do really well. Just because of its star power, it would do really well. Um, I wanted to bring something up that I I talked about uh, a little bit earlier, so I'm going to call it my, my screening room test. And by that, I mean... 
If you haven't been aware, there's something trying to get off the ground out there called the screening room. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and, and this is set up by the gentleman who uh, I believe did Napster. Um, Sean Parker? Sean Parker. Yeah. Sean Parker. Um, and basically what this is is they're trying to get uh, – uh, they want people to purchase a set-top box for about $150. And with this set-top box, you will be able to see first-run movies like Money Monster – the day that they're released in theaters. Wow. So Thursday night, Friday, you'll get to see it on your, at home, but it's $50 a movie, $50 a, a, a pop to watch the movie day and date at this. So I'm obviously against this. Um, you know, th- this to me ruins the movie going experience. And again, when you're seeing performances like this, when I saw it with the crowd that I saw it with, like, those movie performances belong up on a big screen. Mm. My question goes to you. Is this movie worth $50 or is it worth the 10 that you spent to go see it at the theater? Like, I don't know uh, where you're seeing the movie for $10. But. Well, or, whatever right. it is, 12 15 I saw it at the Arclight, yeah. which was, I think I paid 17 but Plus parking, you're paying 20 now At okay. least. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's, it seems backwards. Well, it's designed that you're not watching it by yourself. At home. It's designed that you're watching it and, with and your family. Often, yeah, you're designed with you're watching collecting it. money it's also from your friends. For, <laughs> no, but it's also for parents. If you have, for instance, my family at home. Right. Family of five. Yeah. So, you know, you go. Your family of five isn't going to watch. They're not going to spend 50 bucks on this. But Actually, no. But listen, if I go home and my family wants to go to a movie, or like did when we were in high school, my parents, you know, were paying for it, that movie, for five of us to go, and if we're going to have snacks, that's very expensive. $100. At least. Yeah. At least what if, the, what, if the, what if your family then, wanted to go to a baseball game? How much is that going to cost? Yeah, but, again, but we, go to way, we, we would go to way more movies and we would go to baseball games. And it, yes, I'm sure that that $50, that $50 movie would probably look a little bit, could look nicer sometimes for some movies compared to the $100. Or if I do want to see it opening day and I didn't want to see it, like I didn't want to wait till the midnight screening because they're all full or like the 1 a.m. screening then I could see those at home with my friends like there are I'm not saying that I don't know if it's the perfect solution I do think 50 is a little bit high especially I think you need to put down two or two people but it would would, but I see how it could be tempting for people yeah no I don't see um, I don't see people plunking $50 to see this movie in my mind this movie no no and and that to me that's where I'm getting at Something like the screening room kills movies like this, yeah. Because and and it shouldn't, like it it shouldn't like like that's why like it just you need again still going to the movies with the value. I, I understand what you're saying, and I understand parents with kids and and everything. I get that, but if you have friends to come over, you're not collecting money from your friends. It's still coming out of your pocket to watch Money Monster. It's not gonna happen. And and these movies still need to be like. When, it, when a movie like this does $15 million, or when a movie like Ex Machina or It Follows from A24, those movies would go away. 
Oh yeah, because no true, one, true. no one would, you know, no one's going to want to. I don't care, like if it's a family I'm or whatever. Movies that you don't need to, that like you really could see by yourself and be fulfilled, and like seeing it with a big group doesn't add any, like add a ton. And, I want to, and I disagree. To me, this seeing the performances, the way that they were, and the audience that I, at least I saw it with. They were totally into this movie, which surprised me. See, and I could, I saw this movie with a couple people in the audience. I would have had the exact same reaction to this movie if my audience had no other people in it than I did if, with how many. Like, that had no bearing on how I felt this movie. This was a total movie I could see solo. Yeah. yeah. I, I would love to see a system, and this might not work, but maybe where... An anticipated popularity affects ticket price. There are systems that are coming out. There's a couple that have um, basically four tickets. It's like an on-demand. It's demand pricing. Um, and so depending on the time of day, time of week, like beyond what mm-hmm. we get of the standard matinee, nighttime adult students structure, it would be movies would go up or down, fluctuate based on their popularity. That has been proposed, I think, for a couple of chains. Yeah, but they're not, again, you know, people are already clamoring that they don't like paying high ticket prices right. already. So you do that, again, Money Monster, like those mid-level movies, all we're going to be dealing with that in a franchise. That's yeah. it. Because, you know, you're not, like, again, you got to save... Like, that middle ground movie, that independent type movie, you know, fortifies whatever we have going on because a movie like A Money Monster and even a movie like The Nice Guys, these are geared towards adults and it's to get them to go to the movie going experience. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you know, I've gone to the movies by myself uh, many a times and, you know, it's I would much rather see a movie play out on a big screen, uh, you know, It Follows, to me, just doesn't have the same impact if I'm watching it on TV. It just doesn't. Same same thing with an Ex Machina or or, or even a period piece movie or, or um, it was a movie that we did with that, uh, what was that movie with um, the Ex Machina? Uh, oh, uh, Danish Girl. Yeah. You know, th- that movie and all its beauty and everything, it's not going to look the same. I might even like it less or turn it off if I'm at home. But if I'm watching it at a, at a, at a movie theater, I'm going to get into it more. I'll, I'll, I'll appreciate the nuance and what the directors and had to do with putting this movie up and making it for the big screen. Once screening room comes around, then, then what's the big deal for the director? Why does he have to make it? Like, why does he have to make a movie fit a big screen? Well, why does Game of Thrones have such beautiful cinematography? If it's a... I'm telling you, if you put that up on a big screen, it's going to look a lot different. Right. Right. It, they have. But, but, but TV, you know, the way TV is today, and yes, there's a lot of smart TV on. And yes, I mean, Game of Thrones looks fantastic on TV. So does in House of Cards. When you have people like David Fincher, like, directing a pilot and Jodie right. Foster direct. Yes, they look great on TV, but Game of Thrones, like, if they were going to make movies of Game of Thrones, they would have to change their whole camera system, the their setup ratio. system, the ass. I mean, they'd have to do it like, you know, any television show, like a, like a Star Trek. When, you, when you're, it's a television show and you're bringing it up to the big screen, you have to redo your sets. You got to make your sets bigger. You got to change your cameras. I mean, there's a whole thing. There's a whole 
artistry and people who work to, to production design these things so that they look good on the big screen. You can't just film, you can't take Game of Thrones as is and then not change anything and make it into a theatrical. Although they have put they it on They did that as theaters. Fathom events, yeah. but that they didn't film it theatrically. True, you were watching they... a Blu-ray copy of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not going to, if you're going to make that leap where Game of Thrones becomes theatrical and cinematic, there's a lot of changes that are going to have to take place. So yeah. that's all I'm saying. <laughs> People ain't going to pay 50 bucks on for it. They, they're not going to pay 50 bucks for the money monster, but the adult might put down 30 bucks for he and his date to go see it. Right. And, you know, and then have a night. And I don't think that they would be greatly disappointed. If so. we're, if it's, remo- if it's uh, lowering piracy, I'm all for it though. I don't know. I don't want to, mm. I don't want to make it an opinion. I don't want to make a judgment yet for me. Yeah. yeah. It's really not meant for lowering piracy so much. And I would think it'd know. be the perfect because if there's an option to get the convenience of a home viewing without the necessity of stealing it, I think piracy is often done out of convenience versus out of free. I don't know. A little bit of a both. whole nother discussion. Whole nother discussion, yeah. yeah. Which, but nobody's going to be pirating Money Monster necessarily, as as opposed to Captain America: Civil you War. You just think Anomalisa was the most pirated movie yeah. last year, so like I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, join in the conversation. Yes. I think we can. Uh, I think we can wrap this up. I think we talked a ton of great things. We had a lot of. Uh, a lot of great opinion on this show. I think this is a really good show to talk about. Um, any other final comments before uh, before we wrap up? I'll start off ladies first. Always ladies first. <laughs> I don't like going first. <laughs> I always like I always go like last. Um, yeah, final opinions. I thought that w- mm, I enjoyed seeing this movie. It wasn't. It was something that I do look forward to more work from. Um, Jodie Foster. I thought that Julia Roberts had a really st- great performance in this. Uh, does it? But do I see myself returning to this film? Probably not. I would watch this movie again, maybe in theaters if I got a free ticket. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it makes me excited about Jodie Foster. It makes me want to see another thriller that she directs. And um, this was a definite winner for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, you know, uh, regardless, I mean, it was simple. It was a very simple story. You know, there were flaws. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there were flaws that we spent time. You can nitpick a lot uh, if you wanted to. But, again, uh, the veteran actors and the veteran, you know, the veteran people behind making this movie is what was really fun for me. Yeah. <clears throat> and seeing this, and it's really, to me, too, it's, it's great to see a movie to come out you know, especially when, when, when movies like Civil War, which which I love, don't get me wrong, but it's nice to see that there's counter-programming out there that adults can go to and, and enjoy as well if they may not be into, um, you know, a, a franchise picture. So in a sense, I, I enjoyed its originality, it not being a superhero or a franchise or a sequel. Um, so I enjoyed it for all those aspects, and the performances were fantastic. So... Sarah, where can people follow people you? People can follow me at Sarah underscore Stratton. Say that one more time. At Sarah underscore Stratton. There we go. And people can follow me at Jeffrey C. Graham on Twitter and Jeffrey Crane Graham on Instagram. Jeff, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Dimitri. Uh, with you. This was really fun. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Sarah, I have to say, um, um, happy pre-birthday. 
So we, hey. we, we, we both share the same yeah. birthday, which we is this weekend. Birthday buddies. Oh, this weekend? Yeah. Birthday yeah. buddies yeah. 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 every birthday year. Buddies. 21 and 31. Not, Congratulations, guys. It's not on yes. Memorial Day this weekend. Yeah, no kidding. Crazy. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. So, yeah. well, you... There you hey. go. Hey, how so, and you can please support me on Twitter at DMovies1701. Please uh, always stay tuned to the Popcorn Talk Network, where there's a myriad, a plethora of <laughs> shows that will, you know, whether it's DC movie news, box office breakdown, Marvel news, meet the movie press, and of course, time. anatomy of a movie. We're heading into summer, folks. And I, and I have to say, what I've seen thus far... Uh, I'm liking. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's. Uh, I think there's plenty of good movies uh, that, that that's going to be up that you'll be able to discuss with us and be part of the discussion on Anatomy of the Movie at the Popcorn Talk Network. Thanks for clicking in and viewing us. Uh, look forward to talking more movies in the upcoming weeks. Bye, folks. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.